Hello, and welcome to Informed, a podcast series where you're going to hear experts share their thought-provoking insights and lessons in the field of medical communications. This series is brought to you by ISMAP and is generously sponsored by MedThink SciComm. I'm Rob Mathias, President and CEO of ISMAP. Today, I'm talking with Richard White, Chief Operating Officer at Oxford Pharmagenesis about RWE, or real-world evidence, what it is and how it's changing. Welcome, Richard. Thanks, Rob. It's great to have you on with us. I know we've probably had this conversation a number of times at our various conferences, so it's great to finally get it committed to a podcast. Our listeners vary in terms of their knowledge in this area. I thought it might be good if we just start the conversation by getting a sense of some definitions. I hear all the time people use RWE and HEOR almost interchangeably. Are they the same thing? It's a good question. Uh, And they're not. HEOR, just to go over the basic definitions, is health economics and outcomes research. And HUR groups and the studies they run, they're designed really to provide evidence for typically a pair audience, health technology assessments, good example, reimbursement bodies. And the idea is to show the value of a new healthcare intervention. So they're answering two questions and one's what's the benefits, what's the impact on health outcomes and what are the costs, particularly what are the economic consequences. Now to do that, you often find you need evidence about the disease area and the unmet need. So you need to be looking at things like patient population, disease burden, healthcare resource utilization. And for that, you need real world evidence because you don't get that sort of information typically from a randomized controlled trial. So RWE, real world evidence, uh, it's also called observational studies, non-interventional studies. Basically, they're routinely collected data. So they're not from somewhere where the researcher controls the management of the patient. They just observe outcomes in routine practice. So that's things like registries, claims data, electronic health records. And the reason I think that the two terms are often used interchangeably is because back in the day when when you and I started looking at things like this, probably most real-world evidence was done by HUR groups to fill in gaps in the evidence base for their payer audiences. Nowadays, real-world evidence is much more central to medical evidence and even becoming central to to regulatory decision-making. So real-world evidence is a much bigger thing than just being part of HUR now. So you mentioned RCT, randomized control trials. How do they differ? How do these types of studies that we're talking about here, HUR, RWE, differ from RCT? I think that apart from the the methodology, if you're talking about it from the perspective of a medical publications professional, the big difference is that RWE and HUR studies more broadly, but we'll talk about RWE, they're much less tightly regulated randomized controlled trials. And that means the information you receive as a publications professional is much less consistent. So real-world studies are not covered by good clinical practice, a GCP, and there's something called International Conference on Harmonization that states what needs to be done for randomized controlled trials. So they have to have a protocol to a particular template, a statistical analysis plan, and a particular study report. None of that exists for real-world evidence. They also don't have the equivalent of what everyone's familiar with for randomized controlled trials, which is FADAR and the FDA final rule. So that means for real-world studies, there's no commitment to register them uh, and there's no commitment to publish the results. So I suppose that coming back to your overall question, the key difference is compared with randomized controlled trials, real-world evidence almost been a bit like the, the Wild West. If you're looking at it from a publication's perspective, there's far less rigor around what you have to do with those studies. 
Got it. So would you say that RWE or HAR studies, are they inferior to RCTs or are they just a different breed? I would say different. They provide a very different evidence base and, and it's particularly useful in a lot of areas. Typically, randomized controlled trials have rather narrow inclusion exclusion criteria. So you end up investigating a, a subpopulation of your overall indication. Uh, it may lack very old patients, very young patients, patients with comorbidities. And actually, the information on how those patient groups respond to a particular intervention is really important. And that's what real-world evidence gives you. It also gives you often, and this is why it's used a lot for payer and reimbursement and decision-making, it gives you local evidence. You'll often find database studies or registries are done in a particular country or a particular region to give, for example, a payer group evidence of how a treatment works under the sort of treatment algorithms that they're used to in their own environment. So they're very different and they're very complementary. Got it. Now, you and I have both gone to the podium many times over the last uh, many years and gotten a soapbox about the importance of these types of studies, um, these types of analyses. Do you feel this is still relevant even after all these years? Yeah, it really is. Um, it's a good question. I, I, I look back when um, I knew I was going to do this um, the first presentation I gave on real-world evidence at an ISMAP annual meeting was in 2015. So you can certainly say it's a slow burner. It's definitely still relevant now. And I think that's because real-world evidence is being used so much more. And yet, really, it's still not trusted by a lot of decision-makers externally. Also, probably still a lot of people who've grown up in clinical development within pharma companies who are customized to randomized controlled trials and the sort of statistical rigor you have there. And externally, there's definitely that issue of trust whenever it's a study done by industry. Now, when I did that presentation back in whenever it was, one of the things I said is a key way to build trust is, is through transparency. And this is why I think it's really coming around to the medical publications professional, because we know that publications are a huge part of transparency. And I think what we're seeing now is that some of the things we've been talking about needing for real world evidence for years that we've got with randomized controlled trials, so things like registering studies, posting your protocols, committing to publish, decent reporting guidelines, they are actually now really coming to real-world evidence studies. So it's a time, I would say, for the, the, the medical publications professional to start helping with that. And that's a great segue into something I wanted to chat a little bit about is to really drive into a bit, what do our listeners, our medical publication, medical communication professionals need to be doing now so they can be prepared for today and for the future? I would say to get acquainted with, with some of the tools and guidance that's coming out of um, a few different areas. But the main one I'd say is very important is the Real World Evidence Transparency Initiative. This is a collaboration of a few groups. The, the major uh, academic group involved is uh, ISPOR and also ISPI, but there's um, FDA are involved, Duke Margolis are involved too. And there are probably three things I really focus on that are relevant to a, a medical publication professionals coming out of those groups. Uh, one is the reporting guidelines. They're, they're putting out more reporting guidelines around RWE and database studies. Now, anyone who's worked on an RWE publication knows that strobe exists. There is a guideline there. But what's coming out of ISPORISP goes into a lot more detail on different types of study. And it's important to engage with that to understand how to write the thing up. But before that, there's some other things coming too. So there is now an RWE study registry, a dedicated site to register RWE studies. We've been accustomed to clinicaltrials.gov for uh, RCTs for, for years and years, but now there's something there for real world studies. It's 
slow uptake, I would say, but it is in the, the view of FDA and EMA, and they've suggested in future they will actually start mandating that RWA studies are registered if they're going to be used in regulatory submissions. And probably it won't be too long after that that ICMJ says they have to be registered before they can be published in their journals. So I think these things are coming. So the registry is another one. And the third thing, which was published um, a few months ago, was something called the Harper template. This is a template for real world study protocols, and it's an important development because it's a harmonized template. So there is, there's been a mishmash of different real-world evidence protocol templates for years and years. But Harper's a real advance, particularly if you're on the receiving end of these sorts of documents as uh, medical publications professionals are. You've got something now that's going to be more consistent. It's going to be a more detailed summary of the study protocol. So it'll really help actually write some of these things up. Harper template, is there a particular way that a publication professional should be using that? Like, can we dig into that a little bit more? It's something where if you're in a publication's role, if you're on the consultancy side, I would be asking your clients, are you going to use Harper? Are you using it already? Because it is only, it has only just come in and having them build that into their SOPs is going to be really important so that you can use it downstream. And if you're in a in a pharma role, actually, with control over that, I would say ask your RWE, ask your HR teams if they're using it, because if they're not, then they'll need to change processes in the near future. There'll be a bedding in period because different groups have used different templates up until now. But uh, the really nice thing about Harper, and it's in the the paper that um, uh, the Transparency Initiative published on this, it shows in that paper how the different elements of Harper tie into the existing templates. You can see if you've used this template in your study, here's how it populates Harper and here's the additional bits you'll need to go and find out. So it's a guide also to what gaps there might be if some other templates been used. That's a really good response because I think a number of our listeners probably aren't aware of the Harper template or haven't really started using it. And I think it's helpful to think about different ways that they can start to implement on both sides um, of the industry. You know, let me ask you, do you think, you know, in the future that some of these types of studies uh, would be able to replace RCTs if they're done better or have better transparency or will there always be a place for both? I think there will always be a place for them. It is a really interesting question because one of the initiatives that's part of the the RWE Transparency Project is something called RCT Duplicate. So what they're doing there is basically looking at using real-world evidence to see if it can replicate randomized controlled trial results and identifying some of the conditions where that might be possible. So the idea being that not everywhere, but possibly in some indications, in some circumstances in the future, real world evidence could be used for registration. I think that what's more likely is rather than one replace the other, you're going to see more studies that retain the core principles of randomization of the RCT, but integrate some elements of real world studies. So things like screening for eligibility, you could have use of real world studies in synthetic control arms um, and so on. So there'll probably be more hybrid studies. Again, though, from a medical publications perspective, it's really important to understand a bit more about that real world methodology for when reports come through that show this hybrid methodology. Yeah, it does sound like there's going to be a lot more opportunity for sophistication in our publication planning going forward, better integration of these types of studies and interesting ways to put them together to tell the full medical story of a particular product, uh, service or technology. Um, Are there any secular trends happening right now? Anything that um, is happening that you see on the forefront or coming up soon in this space? Probably the global 
utilization of real world data is something that will change. And if you're in the United States, you'll probably be aware that real world studies have been around for a long time because there's claims databases. The use of it's been very well established. It's not so much the case globally, but that is changing. And particularly in Europe, now Europe, as you know, lots of individual countries all doing things differently and trying to bring them together to get some idea of a regional picture is is a particular challenge. But there are some advances coming, something called Darwin, which is a collaborative of data sources. And the idea being you can run studies across a representative European data network. The idea very much behind them is they're going to enable regulatory and reimbursement decision-making based on a European view, which is something that really hasn't been possible before. It's been possible to, to do it within individual countries, but not from a European perspective. So that's I think quite a big advance and it's important to understand that there will be studies coming through potentially based on these sources. Initially, they'll be used more on the decision maker side, but there is certainly scope in the future that they could be used potentially by by pharmaceutical companies as well. It's been a great dialogue so far. I feel compelled, Richard, to ask you one, one more question. RWE and AI, it's on everybody's mind. Is there a future there? Definitely. In fact, there's a present. AI is already used in real-world evidence, and it's incredibly useful there. One, without getting into huge amounts of detail, just an example for the audience here, there's something called abstraction. So let's say you have 100,000 health records of patients with cancer, which is not uncommon if you're looking at big database studies. Uh, You want to identify which of those patients had metastatic cancer, but those records are unstructured data. So they're things like physician notes. You can imagine that manually, it's incredibly labor intensive for an abstractor to have to go through every single record individually. But what you can do and what is being done is you can train an AI algorithm on how to identify particular elements in records that are associated with metastatic cancer, and then you can automate a lot of the process. So it's already happening to an extent. I would say if we're thinking more of the at the medical publications end, I wonder if real-world evidence and actually HR more generally, may be a bit more resistant to artificial intelligence and automation and the, the randomized controlled trial. Because I can imagine that it, you could, uh, with all privacy obstacles overcome, you could put your CSR into something like GPT-4 and say, please, in the style of a medical writing professional, write me a 5,000 word article that follows the following template suitable for whatever journal you want. And it might come out with something pretty well developed. If you work on real world studies, you know, because of the issues we said earlier, you don't typically have uh, necessarily a robust protocol, statistical analysis plan, or a defined study report. A lot of the upfront work on these studies is having received a bunch of tables and maybe a couple of slide decks, you work out with the authors, well, what, what are we going to put into this paper? What do these data show? There's a lot of interpretation. Now, I'm not saying I, I can't do that, but I can, I can see that it might be a longer journey to that than just writing from a, a study report. I'm sure that's the case for sure for sure. Well, we could probably record an entire other podcast on RWE and AI, and maybe we will in the future. But for now, thank you so much for the time today and for chatting with me. Uh, It's been a really interesting discussion and one that I'm confident will be very useful for our listeners. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to Informed for Medical Communication Professionals. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app, inform your colleagues, and rate our show highly if you like what you heard today. We hope you'll also join us at an upcoming ISMAP University webinar or even consider becoming a member of our association. Just go to ismap.org, that's I-S-M-P-P.org, 
to learn more. I'm Rob Mathias.